G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan that hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. All right, so Mark, uh, given that this is uh, our number one ADA podcast we're putting together, I thought it would be a good idea if we start with a little bit of background about ourselves, just to let um, the listeners know what it is that we're doing, where we've come from, etc., and why we've decided to put this podcast together. So um, maybe just a bit about you, Mark. So probably a really good place to start. So for me, uh, my name's Mark Vanden Bogart. I am by day, I run my own business consultancy, but uh, on the weekends and every chance I get, I'm out hunting or I'm at the, I'm at the range practicing for my next hunt. So how I got here, um, I didn't come from a hunting background. There wasn't people in my family who who were hunters or there wasn't uncles or other connections like that. So for whatever reason, and I probably can't really explain why, I was always interested in hunting. I was always interested in the outdoors. And as soon as I was old enough to have a driver's license and buy a car, one of the first places I visited was Belmont Rothel Range here in Brisbane. Back then, it wasn't too difficult to, uh, you know, turn up the range, sign a bit of paperwork, hire a rifle, and away you went. And that's what I did. And I did that for a little while. And um, slowly over time, I built up some confidence. I also joined SSAA. And I then bought myself my first rifle. And really the story rolled on from there. I really wanted to get into hunting, uh, but I was starting from scratch. And as I said, I didn't know anyone. But as, as these things happen, you know, I met a friend of a friend who had some property and it kind of rolled on from there. And I did a lot of um, hunting, but to be honest, it was really more um, bushwalking because I wasn't all that successful. Up in central Queensland, chasing pigs, nearly, nearly all pigs. We did see some goats occasionally, but it was always pigs were on the first priority. And I did that for a number of years. And in fact, I did that right up to um, Port Arthur. Um, unfortunately, uh, with Port Arthur, all the stuff I'd collected up to that point was um, was no longer allowed. I, I, I liked pump back and shotguns and you know ex-military semi-autos and things like that. So that was it. I kind of lost my collection almost overnight, and that really slowed me down, as you can expect. Um, but I still wanted to restart the process and after a few years I started to um, get back into it. I, I stayed a member of SSAA and I got back into it and in the early 2000s a good mate of mine and um, I met up with him again after he being overseas for a few years we got into target shooting and we were shooting targets you know we were competing each Saturday and to be honest it was a really fun event in that the shooting was fun however the competition part really didn't fly well for him and for I. It was just a little bit too stressful, I suppose, for something we were looking for, a bit of a you know, companionship and, and, and meeting like-minded people. But unfortunately, being a competition, 
there was a lot more competition than there was the uh, the companionship sort of thing. So as these things happened, we ended up at um, SSAA Belmont again, and uh, we started the whole process again. And we were shooting at the range most weekends. And we went into Queensland Gun Exchange when it was just moved from the valley to East Brisbane. And we saw an ad about, do you want to get in a hunting? And it was an R license ad. Uh, specifically, it was an R license ad run by SSAA, oh, sorry, sorry, by ADA, who were upstairs at the time there at Gun Exchange at East Brisbane. That's where they had the, the branch meetings. And Tim and I turned up and did our R license. And that would have been joined. really early days, Mark. It was, uh, it was about 2007, 2008, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and we got, we were right into it. And at the time uh, we joined Doubles, uh, sorry, joined ADA on the spot there again. Um, I am, a, I've been a life member of SSAA, can't kind of seem to forget about it. And we joined the ADA, went to the branch meeting, met some people, learnt about the uh, deer hunting opportunities in the Brisbane Valley through the deer management group. So I think it was 2008 was my first time hunting a deer up there in Brisbane Valley. I hunted with an a ADA member by the name of Paul Swan, who really helped me get started. And to be honest, I'll be forever grateful for Paul's influence. Funny story, when I was up there, the first time I was hunting with Paul up there, you had to take a radio with it was a requirement and uh, we were hunting and he spotted this uh, double four stag before I did and uh, I'd never really been deer hunting before. I'd seen them but never been hunting any. any uh, he looked over to me and kind of went like that. And, I, and, and for the life of me, I, I, I just, I thought he was saying like, go to channel eight on the radio. What he was saying was, there's a double four. So as soon as I realised what he was on about, I got my first double four. And at the time, I saw an ad in uh, one of the magazines about, you know, write about your, your hunting story. So I wrote about taking that double four. And, and strange enough, as my deer hunting career, I suppose, or pursuit started, so did my writing pursuit. And I started to write and I started to, strange enough, get published and and it kind of rolled on from there, and I've been writing now for 12 years, both here in, in Australia and overseas. And where did as, that, where did they get published, Mark? Sorry, uh, that particular one. Strangely enough, it was I got my first story ever got the cover, which was a pretty high, you know, pretty hit hit the hit the top first time. Haven't had too many covers since then, but I got the first cover, and that was the Australian Shooter magazine for SSAA. I think it's 2000. You probably didn't even know the cover was a thing back then. Well, that's it. I, saw, I literally saw myself in a man. Yeah, it's a bit odd the first time you see yourself on the on the shelf in a, in a newsagent. You know, you expect to see numbers on it type thing, but it was a it was a quite a shock. But that was the start of it. And at the same time, we started to explore with the R license and, you know, doing the state hunts like Nundal, Pilliga, Severn, um, they produce some great outcomes. Got my uh, first pig after a long time in down in Nundal uh, with good mate Tim and, you know, didn't need a four-wheel drive. We literally drove his little Mitsubishi Lancer as far as we could from camp, started walking and walked up on some pigs. So that was a, that was a pretty special 
uh, moment too, bringing that all together after not hunting pigs for so long. And at the same time, I got more interested in in what the ADA does. And with the birth, you know, my, my eldest son and then my youngest younger son. Over the last four years, I've been really much more interested in in helping people get hunting and building this idea of a hunting culture because I want my boys to hunt too. So I took on a more senior role in ADA and that's currently as one of the national board members. So, And for me, a big part of all of this is promoting hunting and promoting to people kind of like me who started from scratch, haven't really got a model to work towards and need lots of information and maybe a little bit of confidence and a bit of inside running to get them started. So that's about it for me. What about you, Ian? Yeah, interesting. Uh, I think the start of my story is much the same. I was always into it and I don't even know why, uh, other than the fact that I was born in New Zealand and the culture in New Zealand, it just is there. Um, it, it, you're not one of the guys if you're not going hunting, I don't think. So, um, look, my father was into it. We had an enormous family and they were all into it. I remember Christmas mornings when one of my uncles would show up, uh, or Christmas Eve, I think it was, with the horror story, um, when my uncle showed up with uh, Rudolph, who'd be freshly shot and left on the back of his ute to be skinned in the morning and all the kids were screaming and all of the mums were screaming and all the dads were laughing, but, you know, red deer and, or, or, or deer of some sort or pigs or ducks or what have you in New Zealand was the staple. Um, so growing up in and around that sort of environment was pretty natural. When I moved to Australia, I sort of lost a lot of that because I moved to a city. I moved to Sydney, like many of us do, when we jump on the plane and come in search of um, pretty girls and uh, better wages. Um, so I landed in Sydney for a while, but eventually made it up to, um, to Toowoomba in Queensland and immediately started to search out some way to get back into hunting. Um, and very similar, I walked into the local gun shop and there was this, if you want to, if you want to hunt deer, come and talk to us. And it was an ADA sign uh, that was in the local gun shop. And, you know, I, it turned out that the, the owner of that gun shop at the time was also the state president of the Australian Deer Association, um, Peter Lurz, who, right. yeah, he, Peter Lewis, was yeah. Peter back then, back in back in uh, 2005 or so. Was, was that we, the uh, open range? Yeah, it was the open range. Yeah, so he had the open range at that time, and um, we spent. I'd go in there after work as a what would I have been? Uh, 25, 26 year old. I'd go into there after work and look at the rifles and try and figure out what I wanted and listen to everyone's advice about what your first deer rifle should be and what optics you should put on it. And Peter would tell me all the stories and there were videos up everywhere and I was completely hooked on the idea of getting back into hunting. Um, and if you know Peter, he, he, he's been around a long time in, in the hunting and the ADA circles and uh, he can tell a good story. So um, he mesmerizes you in the way he does that. But uh, So I joined the ADA pretty much on the spot and started attending the local meetings, um, which basically from that time um, helped me meet a whole bunch of blokes that were into the same sort of thing that I was. Uh, my current, you know, friendship base at the moment out, outside of work is all ADA members, um, you know, and that's because I've come to a new town and they're the people that I've met. 
Um, but all my good friends came from my early days in the Australian Deer Association, and um, we still hunt together all the time, which is fantastic. Um, but look, by day, I'm a technologist. I, I, I've worked for a number of different companies helping enterprise businesses with their technology. And I bring some of that experience into this organization, but really I try and keep the two quite separate. Um, I've been yeah in the ADA for a little while. I've held various different roles from branch secretaries to state secretaries. Um, and now I'm the president of our local branch, which is the, the Darling Downs branch. Um, Mark, very similar to you, I, I spend a lot of my time helping and mentoring other people uh, more than I do myself. Um, I think we've had five or six um, branch hunts this year. Where are we now? We're in, uh, in early May. Uh, and almost all of those have been buddying up with somebody new within the branch to take them out and get them into hunting. I really enjoy it. Uh, I've, I've mentored loads of new hunters onto their first deer, and it's as exciting for me to see them take their first deer as it was for me to take my first deer way back in the day. So uh, I get a lot out of that, um, and it's my way of putting back into the sport, I guess. Um, something you might not know, Mark, that has been in the back of my head for a little while, but uh, when I first got into our license hunting or first started to think about our license hunting, um, you, you, I contacted you, um, maybe from a magazine article. I don't know why, because you weren't in and around the community at the time that I was involved in, certainly not in the same branches, but somehow I managed to have a conversation with you and you spent an hour with me on the phone talking to me about Severn. There you go. As a forest. Right? There so, you go. Um, that was as a young, uh, impressionable hunter. Um, and um, for people listening, this is certainly not scripted. Mark's got no idea uh, that I was going to tell them this, but um, I remember your description of Severn, and we'll get into this uh, later on or at some point anyway, but you said, it's hot, it's rocky, it's scrubby, it's ugly, and it's my favourite place. I absolutely love hunting it. And uh, I think the description is excellent uh, because I've, I've hunted that block a lot. And I've helped a lot of other people hunt it as well. So uh, thanks very much. You got me into our license hunting and uh, and a lot of other people that have followed me, right? So, um, you know, that's enough about me. Um, I'm here, I'm in it, I, I enjoy it, and I like to pass on the knowledge. And I think it's really important that we do so. Well, mate, you've, you've caught me on the hop there, to be honest. Um, it makes me feel a bit old, to be honest, to tell you the truth. It's. I suppose if you if we want a model, that's the model, isn't it? Help people get hunting, let them build their own journey and away they go. And if they, you know, and as you said, if you're hunting five, six times, the you know already this year, then then that worked. That that got you out there. And it, yeah, Severn uh, is uh, is a favourite. Uh, it's been replaced by the Pilliger simply because it's just a bigger version. It's hotter. Mm. It's more scrubby. It's more rocky. Oh, for you, it's, it's your it's your new um, favourite hunting ground. That's it. Yeah, it's uh, Severn was has been superseded by the Pilliga. So let's, I suppose, let's let's make this a little bit more hunting focused. So let's talk about from scratch hunting options here. And if you're a Queenslander and you want to hunt, what's some of the options available to you? So let's have, let's let's examine that. So I yeah, suppose okay. Can I, I'll ask you a question before you start. Sure. Has the, thinking about the options we have today, 
<laughs> and I don't mean to lean on your age, Mark. Sorry, I don't want to bring that up again. <laughs> but um, has anything changed? Was there a time in Queensland that we had more options than we do today? Or has it always been like this? It's, uh, I have to be very delicate here because it, it, to me it's a bit of a sore point. I've always felt that hunting in Queensland has been, what someone once said to me that it, it's it's a it's a tough game or it's a heartbreaking game because the hunting was so so scarce and so um, insular that it was an almost you know it was it's almost impossible to break into. So if you if you had access or you uh, you knew someone who had access, you had an opportunity. If you weren't, you know, you were one of the great unwashed and you just you just didn't hunt. And so you, you know, you you paid to hunt, you travelled to hunt, but I can never rem- really remember a time where, um, you know, there was there was an opportunity to hunt just for someone off the street. Um, even up in central Queensland, you know, even there where you know there was millions and millions of basically acres that you could have hunted, we still struggled to get on the properties and we would door knock and door knock and door knock. And I remember the, the first one we got onto, uh, the property manager was the person we spoke to. And I reckon he took pity on us. I think we were just, we were just beraggled from driving and driving and driving. He said, yeah, go on, go ahead, go shoot some pigs. So it, I've never mm. ever known of, there's been different mechanisms. There has been, you know, ideas of trying mechanisms, but it's never been something that, the every man could do if he or every woman could do if they wanted to. There's, it's always been tough. So the opportunities always have been tough, and um, that's why I'm such a, uh, you know, such a public land um, access or um, advocate. To me, that's the only way that you can help people get out there who, you know, mostly city based or large regional based don't have connections, want to get out and do it. So public land. So yeah. Um, it's interesting, all of the properties that I've managed to get access to through all of the things that I've tried, the, the ways that I've tried to get access, they've all had nothing on them, <laughs> badly. You know, I, I thought I'd struck it rich a couple of years ago when a landholder who had 35 properties um, west of Toowoomba let me have access to his land to shoot on. And there wasn't, there was nothing on it, <laughs> nothing at all. Like it was, it was all very broad acred cropping yeah. country, and, and and even the farm managers said, "Look, there's they haven't even seen a pig here for ages, mate. You're welcome to come and walk around if you want, but you know, save your time. It's just not worth it." Yeah. I thought, "Oh, how could that possibly be?" Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it has been really hard in Queensland. And uh, for those that don't know, um, Queensland has no public land access at all, unlike New South Wales and Victoria and various other places. Um, so that makes it really difficult for us. And we find um, that we get a lot of members inquiring about joining the ADA because they think that we'll be able to give them access when, in fact, that's not necessarily the case. Um, we may help them um, with introductions to people within the branch that have access and they forge friendships. Um, they'll be able to get out there and go hunting with them, and that certainly happened for me. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult place to find access in Queensland. It really is, and it's become harder and harder. The boys' clubs 
of old that sort of kept it a secret society, you know, they're not as ra- around as much as it was before. But so many people have spoiled opportunities for us um, just by doing the wrong thing that it's hard to see a way out of it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, one of the the, the great challenges of, of private land access is it's someone's backyard. It might be a very big backyard, but it's someone's backyard. So, you know, and they've got to trust you to go in their backyard. I mean, the ADA does in, in Queensland have uh, limited access to to um, private land through various arrangements, um, but it's quite localised. You know, it's 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 Brisbane Valley and in surrounds, and and it's you know, it has a very much a deer focus, whereas public land um, access, as they have in you know New South Wales and Victoria, whilst Victoria is obviously heavily weighted towards deer, um, you can really be your own boss in a lot of ways. You can go, okay, I want to go hunting, and and one of the one of the interesting things about hunting public land is whilst you have a lot less support, you also have a, a lot more opportunity. You know, it's big country you know, where, for instance, hunting the pillager there, I think, you know, in you can book around 250,000 hectares mm. if you balance it right. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's immense. And, um, and I've been to the Pillar Goal, you know, many times. And, you know, I can count on one hand the times that we actually ran into someone who wasn't part of our team. And generally, you know, three-fourths of that, it's always been forestry guys, you know. So you do have a very different um, a different approach and a different experience hunting public land than you do hunting private land. And to be honest, to to me, I look, and I've got private land access in Queensland, which is incredibly convenient, um, you know, from cl- being close to home. But when you hunt that that public land, and it's kind of like, to me anyway, it's like an everyman safari, you know. It's 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 bargain basement safari hunting. You, you just go and you run your own show. So, I mean, what's been uh, – yep, sorry? So talking about Pilliger and, and some of those experiences you have, yeah, um, and we won't deep dive necessarily into that one right now. But um, you you look on forums, you, you you listen to people, and you know state forest hunting they've shot it out. It's useless, you know. It's barren wastelands. You're wasting your time. Um, can you also count on on one hand how many times you haven't had success when you've gone out to the Pilliga? So I imagine it's pretty high percent of success. Without a word of a lie, I've never hunted public land and not been successful. There, there isn't a single. Now there was. There's. There's one caveat. I had to leave a hunt once because uh, family health issues, so I had to leave. I managed to get on the phone, and there was a problem. But that was phone call. Just it was after my mate Simon shot two goats. So yeah. you know, it was even like I, they technically weren't mine, but I was there when they were taken, um, mm. and you know, and I, I've been involved in it very, you know, that moments before. So I've never hunted public land and not been successful. I know that you know people go, oh, it's crazy. And look, I I have heard on so many occasions that places you know that have been shot out. There's nothing there, and I think. That, and that's actually really interesting for me because 
that's never been my experience. And and I'm so I actually want to share some of the experiences I had. So people who, who may have may have had that happen to them, they can actually have, you know, they can have a, a positive experience. But uh, I've heard it before. And um, I tell you an interesting thing where I've heard it most is Nundal. Mm. I've heard yeah. so many times there's no deer in Nundal. And you just kind of go, okay, let's talk about your hunting experience and why you didn't see deer because there's deer in Nundal. There's deer. Oh, absolutely. So, and, so and, what, I, and I hear that, and that's that all the time. I want to know, know, you know, what is your hunting experience that let you come to this conclusion that there's no deer in Nundal? And the same, I, you know, I, I call it Severn, some call it Seven. Um, it's a it's a pretty heavily um, uh, frequented forest because it's very close to the Queensland border. Most people in Queensland, and certainly in the own southeast Queensland, at some time in their hunting career, go to Severn. And yeah, I'm sure that over the years the numbers have decreased because it's certainly, you know, it's worked, but and it's not a particularly big block. But I had just had a friend come back uh four, six weeks ago. He took four deer, uh four four goats there that he that 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 weekend. And I certainly have never not taken goats there myself. And in fact, I um I took my first uh pig out of there after and that pig took me a number of years to get but i've also taken pig out of there as well so so yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting uh concept this idea of um you know there's no game there what about yourself i mean obviously you've heard it i mean where where have people said to you there's no game oh look i um i don't take too much notice of it because like everybody hunts differently you know, I, I showed up for my very first hunt uh, at, at Nundal. We were camped at Ponderosa and I bumped into a couple of hunters that I knew uh, at Ponderosa and they said, oh, we've been here for four days. We've driven around. We've driven every track, maybe 400 kilometres. We haven't seen a thing. But I can also tell you they probably didn't step foot out of the car. All right. So it, it comes down to everybody's hunting experience. Uh, over the last two years, I've taken our branch or members from our branch to Nundal um, and Hanging Rock and places like that. I think five trips over the last two years I've been there. Uh, and only this season, as in this raw and, and rut period, uh, that was the only hunt that animals were taken. Uh, the other ones, um, no animals were taken. It was straight after bushfires. We had horrible droughts. There were reasons for it. I get it. We saw animals. In fact, some of them have seen the biggest buck of their lives uh, on one of those trips. They didn't get to get around the way at it, which was good. They showed some restraint. They didn't shoot at the back end of it as it took off. Um, but I, I think success is an, interest, an interesting term because everyone's got a different measure of it. If I see them and I don't get to shoot them, I'm still successful because I've found the deer and I'm learning as I go. Um, so, look, I've been to a lot of parks. Um, and again, that term success is an interesting one because I've, I have been unsuccessful in taking animals at quite a few parks, but there were also recce missions, if you want to call them that, where at the park on a list that's close by that I just want to go and check it out because it's teasing me every time I drive past it on the way south. I've got to turn left and go and have a look at it. You know, places like Gerard State Forest and Brother and various different other ones, um, they look like they should have deer but you can't find any sign and you can't see any activity. 
sometimes I show up and I think it must have been wasted by 1080 because there's no birds, there's no rabbits, there's no mice, there's no anything, there's no sign of, of anything except for the odd dead carcass, which you don't actually know where it's come from, right? So um, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one, but there's plenty of game to be found if you do your research, just from what I've found. Look, yeah, listening to your, your answer, to qualify, I have been – times I've been a state forest that I, you know, on reccees where we haven't actually hunted and so we haven't been, but mm. I must admit every time that I've been hunting, say, for instance, uh, I did a, 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 a kind of like a state forest road trip a few years ago with a, another guy from ADA and we went, we literally, you know, would go drive in a forest, check it out and drive the next one. Even on that, we did on on one particular forest, we we did get game, but we visited a number of other forests too that, and that allowed us the opportunity to get a better understanding of them and, you know, kind of went, yeah, there's probably not a great one for deer because, you know, it's either it's just been clear felled or it's, it's been through fire or it's for whatever reason. And that, that, that certainly helps too. Cause I think um, you don't want to put all your energy into that one weekend, you know, you, this, you want to build this over time. So, getting out there and, and having the opportunity. And, you know, even I, I readily admit, when even when we're on a family road trip, you know, there's more than one state forest in New South Wales that we've just kind of driven through on a family road trip just to check out, you know, just want to have a quick look in here and <laughs> come back out just to get a bonus, get our understanding of it. So, I mean, not harbouring too much on the idea of success being, you know, um, a taking an animal what some of the things you think that you know people could do just to get uh to to put things in their favor when they go hunting there on a state forest well i think if you're starting from scratch the way i tend to to focus on a new piece of country a new forest mm -hmm. that i haven't been to before the first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to go to the r license portal so I'm assuming you've got an R license. You've gone through that process yep. and now you want to go and hunt. Um, there are game harvest return forms that you can go to. Now, people will say, ah, it's all rubbish. Um, you know, people will lie. Well, I put people in two categories. You're either going to tell the truth and fill out the form or you're just not going to put anything down. I don't think there's too many people saying I saw 50 deer on the game harvest reports. Now, when I go through those game harvest reports for the part that I'm used to going to, they're deadly accurate. There is absolutely goats and pigs that's the burn. There's absolutely pigs and goats and deer in Nundal, but there's no goats in Hanging Rock. I can tell you that from my experience, it's deadly accurate, and that's what you find in the Harvest Return Report. So it's a, it's a, it's a document that you can download by season where you can see, okay, well, it's now May. I want to look for June and July at Nundal and see if deer are being taken. There are. There's deer taken there and the neighbouring forest. That's a good one to target if I'm chasing deer. For starters, that's going to put you on the right track. There's a whole bunch of other things that will help you, how to find water, how to look at Google Maps and various other mapping programs to try and um, do some e-reckeying, if that's what you want to call it. That's yeah. what I term it. Um, so, and I would do that daydreaming while I'm working have a map there that I can zoom in and out of and have a look at where I think creeks are running, where water is, 
I mark all of those points on my map so that I've got somewhere to go and look when I arrive at a new park and not just be looking at the trees going, which way do I go? So try and plan that stuff out. Um, my best assessment of game, and I'm not the best hunter in the world, I've taken my fair share of game, but um, if it feels good to you, it's probably going to feel good to the animal. If it's cool on a hot day, they're also going to feel that. If it's a hot day and there's water there, there's probably going to be animals coming to it. Shelter, water, feed is a bit of a recipe for success. If you can find that stuff on a map, and then translate that to, to map the ground and go and find that stuff on the ground, then you can start plotting out what you need. The other thing that I do is anytime I see an animal that's a target species, I put it in my journal. I've got a little journal that I carry around and I say, it was five o'clock at night on an overcast day. There was no moon. There was no wind. I saw deer at this time. And you end up building a map of when you see them. And I know if, if you want to go out, if you're a spotlighter and you want to go out and shoot deer at nighttime, you're going to struggle to get them on a full moon night. They just don't like coming out when it's light. That's the way it is. Um, and you can put that into a specific park and say that those attributes to those animals are park specific because of the type of pressure they receive from the locals. Or maybe it's across all of them. You build your own map. You can build that map. You'll just, you'll just gather all of this experience. And my line of work, data is king. The more data you've got to analyze, the more information you can glean. That's what I sort of suggest that people do. That's my limited experience, Mark. That, that's a, I, I, you know, that's a great way to describe it, you know. You're playing to your strengths there. See, for me, I suppose data is king too, but it's all um, visual. So I, I just take photos. I, I keep mm. – I don't I don't have a journal. I've got a photo. You know, I can – I can reach back to, you know, when I started there and they say, oh, okay, here's a, here's a photo. This is what Severn looks like. This is what the guys look like in winter in Severn because here's a photo of them type of thing. So I've always kept a pretty extensive library of uh, photos of animals. And I also, when I'm out, I, you know, I also take images or photograph the landscape as well So because that helps from my point of view, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm more visual like that. It helps me understand and build a picture of the environment around that. So that I really like that idea. You know, the, I, to be honest, I don't do half the things you do. I think, and I've already picked up a few tips there. You know about using. I, I, I never consider looking at Google Earth. I wouldn't bother. You know, so uh, that's really quite interesting. I mean, for me, uh, it's I suppose it's a bit more um, one of the the things time and again and i might have said it to you when you know when is that you've got to when you hunt public land and we're talking you know public land specifically at the moment new south wales are license you've got to hunt hard um mm. you've got to it, to be honest when i when i think about some people who haven't been successful over the years and who may have moved away from hunting or who've expressed to me, you know, mate, can I come with you? I'm not doing any good and things like that. An observation is that they seem to spend a lot of time in camp, you know, having a having a good time, having a holiday, you know, getting away from family, whatever it is, but they're not on they're not putting boots on the ground. They're not out there hunting hard. And I think that is a real that that's what to me public land hunting is. It's about hunting hard. It's about going. We're going to start 
this morning and then we're going to go. So, yeah. I completely agree. Um, and I've had to really focus on making hunting. So for hunting, for me, it's the healthy thing in my in my life. I'm not mm. sitting behind a desk looking at a computer. Uh, when I plan trips to New Zealand, I spend months before that on treadmills, climbing hills, just trying to get fit for the mountains, knowing that it doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to get my ass kicked by the mountain when I get there, especially if it's a New Zealand one. Um, but what I find really interesting with with hunters and blokes, you get into camp and you crack your first beer open, mm. and then you'll sit around that campfire until 10 or 12 o'clock at night and then hope to get up at 4. It just doesn't work. Um, so, so when you get serious about it, I, for me anyway, I'm trying to, to not make hunting a boys' trip. Not to say that you don't want to go with the boys, because you, yeah. you know it's good time to go out with the blokes and, and connect. But I, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to get there and turn it into a piss trip. Because yeah. hunting hard means getting up at the dark and coming home in the dark. Mm. And if you're going to spend the whole day out there, then you're going to need some time to have a rest and what have you. So you're going to be carrying some gear. You've got to be in the uncomfortable places where those that drive around and do 400 kilometres in their land cruises aren't going to go. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I hear. Yeah, and, and, that, that, and that really translates to me. The, the, the benefit of, uh, of that approach is it simply translates that you're in the position to be successful longer and it becomes a you know a matter of odds or, or or a numbers game if you are leaving camp after just after dawn and if you're actually chasing you know rutting deer you want to be moving before dawn waiting for you want to be in the forest waiting for dawn to to, to you know to to arrive so you you get the first chance on a, on on a, a rutting or a or a roaring stag, but you want to be out of camp, want to be moving, you want to be, you know, thinking, okay, what's my journey today? Where am I going to go? And and be out of, you know, and like that means, you know, having a bite to eat on the side of a track. But a, but what that translates to a time and again is more hours where the game is, which means more hours or more chance of, of taking game, and uh, that's probably the, the you know the single biggest piece of advice I can give people. If you're in camp, you're probably not going to do too well. If you're out in the scrub, you know your chances go up exponentially. And uh, mm. I don't, you know, I can't think of how many times that I've opportunistically come across game where you probably would have thought, oh, well, you know, the day's over. You know, haven't oh, seen it. Head so back common. to camp, bang, there it is. You know, it's there. So it happened to my group last week. He thought his hunt was over. He thought he'd made a mistake. He had his head down and he was kicking rocks and a big buck stood up right in front of him and he was not prepared. This was last week on a hunt with our, with our branch and he came back to camp he like, and he didn't take a deer that, that weekend um, a lot of us took deer that weekend he didn't take deer but he saw more than all of us uh, yeah. he just got it wrong and, and, and yeah I, I'm the same I've uh, I, I, in Nundal it's actually hanging rock um, I, I've convinced myself there's a ghost <laughs> and it's a ghost of a deer and I know it's bullshit but, but I, I convinced myself because almost 
every time I'm on the march back and there's a, a row of trees that runs down like this and the sun sets down behind them and I always see the silhouette of the deer on that track and I can't shoot at it because the road's behind me. But almost every time I'm there, I see after dark this deer there uh, and it's always on the trudge back. So it's about getting in the right position at the right time of day. And you've right. got to put in the yards. And, uh, and, and if you're lucky enough to, to, to be able to shoot deer off the back veranda, well, good luck to you. But I've never had that experience. It's always been, you know, it, hunting is a, is, a, is a very active pursuit. So I, I've mm-hmm. just carried that with me wherever I go. So every time I go to a state forest to hunt, it's about, okay, you know, we're going to be hunting from sunup. To, and we're going to be coming back into camp after dark, and um, and and that's just just the what just the way we approach it. And I I find that you know for me that produces results. That's what what gets you in front of the game animal, either by design or opportunistically. But that's what gets you in front of the game animal. Mm. So, all right, mindful of time, um, I just want to cover quickly how you get involved with our license hunting, and then Mark. Uh, maybe we can just have a, a, a brief chat about what we're going to talk about in the next couple of sessions, just to give them an idea. So just around um, getting involved, um, it's pretty easy. You've got to be an, a member of a, um, an AHO, which is an, an authorised hunting authority, I think is organisation. Organisation. With an O. Um, so the ADA, the SSAA, most of the hunting clubs are one of those. You've got to be a member of one of those and you have to sit the R licence course. Yeah. If you don't know how to do that, you can go to um, the game licensing unit or the just Google um, State Forest Hunting in New South Wales. It will come up. You can request a list of assessors. They'll send you the one closest to your postcode. Um, in Toowoomba, I do them. Um, there's other people in um, in the ADA that do them in various other branches. So we're not hard to find to get the assessment done. Some even do them online still, I think. So, um, But it's designed to help you get there. It, it, it gives you some information about what you've got to do to stay out of trouble. It doesn't teach you how to hunt. Uh, and some of us will teach you how to log in, um, do various things in the portal, um, and, and various other little tips and tricks along the way. So that's how you get involved. Send that off, pay some money, you'll get a license, and off you go. Um, that is how simple it is. And if anyone's got any questions, we'll put some details here somewhere um, that you can get in contact with us and we'll steer in the right direction. So that's the how to do it bit. Um, as far as the next session, so we, we want to run a few of these, Mark, I think, and we'll talk yeah. about various different things. I suppose um, if we with the aim that we really want to help people getting started, I mean, tonight's been been a good introduction and, and, and just touching a number of ideas that we'll explore in more detail as we roll along. But I think for those who uh, want to get started, who maybe even got an R licence or are thinking about going for the R licence, why don't we focus on, on gear? So let's start with the idea of what kind of gear do you need to go hunting? Because like a lot of things, you know, some people think, you know, you can't hunt without a four-wheel drive. Well, you can. Um, I've actually, the, you know, I I didn't have a four-wheel drive for the first few years of that I that I when I got back into hunting in in early two thousand. So you certainly don't need that. But what kind of gear do you need, and how you might 
think about what kind of gear you, you can get now and how to give it some longevity and, and into the future so it lasts you over a period of time. But it's also it's most practical across a, a number of um, instances. Let, so let's let, let's focus on gear. Sounds good. Okay. okay. And, if, and if anyone else has got ideas that they want to hear about, got questions about what we've spoken about, then I'm assuming somewhere here you're going to post a comment and ask some questions, and we'll cover those up as well when we get into the next session. Okay. Mate, thanks for the chat. It was, um, and, uh, and, you know, thanks for the, the, the sly, the sly thanks. You know, that, that, that did get me, you, you threw me there a bit there. I, I've been thinking, when did he call me? When did he call me? Oh, oh, it was a long time ago, mate. It was a long time ago. It's going to be something to think about. And I'm sure you've given the same advice to a lot of people. Yeah, look, um, it, it's, it, it's been one of the, to be honest, it's been one of the, 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 the great pleasures for me is to help people get started. Mm. Okay. Well, I'll talk to you on the next one. You will. See you then.